0: Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure.
1: Resilient Cyber is sponsored by Acquia, a cybersecurity service, disabled veteran owned small business that is passionate about enabling innovation and driving secure digital transformation. Acquia believes in guardrails over roadblocks and security as a business and mission enabler. Learn more at aquia.us. That's A Q U I A dot U S. Before we start the episode, we want to give a big thank you to our season four sponsor, Nucleus Security. Meet Nucleus, the only risk-based vulnerability management platform purpose-built for the world's most complex enterprises. Nucleus takes the mountain of vulnerability data that is produced by your security stack and unifies it into one clean dashboard that helps you make sense of your assets and vulnerabilities. With Nucleus, users get a normalized and deduplicated list of vulnerabilities across network devices, cloud, applications, and more. Next, we layer in risk and vulnerability intelligence from sources like Mondiant to help you prioritize the vulnerabilities that matter most. Ready to see how Nucleus can help improve your vulnerability management program? Head to nucleussec.com today.
2: Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Show. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Colonel Chris Saving. Chris, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Definitely, yeah, mean, we're excited to chat with you. So for folks that don't know you or aren't following you already online, can you tell us a bit about your background?
0: So I'm a Army Operations Research Analyst by background, Anorsa. Um, I'm a wife and a mom. I've been working in the human capital space for the Army for about seven years now, which is kind of unusual. They like to bounce us around. But for whatever reason, they decided they were going to keep me. And I'm coming up on year two of a remote work pilot. So I'm working for the Pentagon and for Army Human Resources Command, out of Orlando, Florida. So
1: awesome, yeah. Um, and you have such a an extensive background too, with with the military, with the army. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know more about sort of what you do uh, with the army and and more specifically
0: in HR too? Okay, yeah, I've been um, I've been serving in the army for 22 years now, which is quite a bit more than I originally planned. It's just one of those things they keep kind of going here. Try a couple, try a couple new things. Try a couple new things. Um, but again, kind of worked in um, the people space for the past seven years and just uh, kind of had a passion for it. Um, I started working just in the regular G1 chief of personnel office doing strength management and forecasting, moved into the human capital big data program at the time in the office of the assistant secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, where we really started getting to dust off some skills and bring in some uh, very interesting analytics. Um to the, to the uh, human capital enterprise, worked for Army Talent Management Task Force for a while, led the Army's um, Army Data Talent Management issue. So we started looking at um, all things, all, all careers in the data space, and it kind of eventually brought into the digital space writ large. And now I'm working for Army Human Resources Command.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really awesome background. And that's actually why I wanted to chat with you is like, you know, in our space in DOD, you know, we hear so much about cloud and cyber and zero trust and, AI and all these things, but uh, underneath all of that are humans and the workforce. And I wanted to ask you, you know, in that conversation, you know, why do you feel like the people aspect is so lost or overlooked when it's so critical, honestly?
0: I think, oh goodness, this is one I could go down a rabbit hole on. Um, I think in all the technical fields that we have, the army, especially, um, I can't speak to the whole DOD, but I think it's kind of pervasive. We just don't connect with that human element. We don't understand how it works in the same way that we understand how our combat arms forces work. They have a somewhat predictable model of how their work cycles are gonna work, where they need to be, how they think, how they operate. And in the technical fields, we are all over the place. So we all work in different kind of surge cycles. We, um, you know, we can um, work literally from anywhere. We have the right kind of, um, the right kind of internet security and connection. But because of that, and because of a lack of understanding and the force writ large of exactly what it is, a lot of our, our people do, they don't necessarily get used properly, they don't have access to the tools that they need to operate, they get plucked from the work that they joined the DOD, whether in military or civilian capacity to do and put on other things. And that just leads to a lot of
2: frustration. Yeah, you touched on this a little bit. My next question was actually going to be about, you know, we know Department of Defense has historically struggled to attract and retain technical talent. Um, mm-hmm. you know, do you feel we're making any headway there? And and what kind of factors do you think kind of contribute to our, our problems?
0: So um, the way the way we look at retention writ large, and I think it, it spills over into recruiting, too, um, as we looked at this broadly through talent management, we tend to focus on compensation, which I think is silly because there's no way in the DOD with salary caps we could ever compete with private industry. But what we don't take into account is quality of life and quality of work. If people have those two things, then our mission set, the quality of work that we have available, attracts some very talented people. They want to come in. They want to, um, they want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. They want to be valued. We want to have uh, career progressions, career paths, self-actualization, and if they don't get that, then the quality of life kind of mismatch between what they have, what they could have with the DoD, and what they can have on the outside suddenly becomes very important.
1: I think those are, are such important points, right? Which is sort of, you know, what's the mission? It, it, do people feel like, you know, they have an opportunity to grow with the mission in their careers and, and balancing their life outside too, right? Like those are all sort of that combination. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when I was looking through your background, you had one of your previous roles was um, deputy director of people analytics. And I thought this was such a, a fascinating role and something that I don't see a lot, but it, it's sort of this at least my understanding is it sounds like such a great blend of data science and analytics and, and human resources, understanding people and, and sort of what the, that means. Um, can you talk a little bit about that type of role and where sort of data analytics and
0: people sort of come together? Yeah, it was an interesting evolution for that office. It was one that we created. Um, at the time I started working on that project, it was the human domain office, and it was Ms. Dolores Johnson Davis working in. I'm I'm pretty sure It was at one point, some kind of a closet. It was the smallest office I've ever seen an SES put into, but, you know, it was just a scrappy little office looking at a number of different problem sets. And, you know, Ms. Johnson Davis, she had a vision. She was not a data scientist. She wasn't um, a technical uh, background herself, but she was looking at just what kind of questions the army was asking, what kind of things we were trying to understand about seeing ourselves and She had a vision that if we could just get all of our data in one place and if we could get it curated, if we could get it built out so that we could really work with it, we'd be able to answer a lot of these questions better and we'd be able to actually see ourselves. So at that time, she was talking with the then uh, the DUSA, the Deputy Secretary of the Army, who had an offshoot organization, Army Analytics Group. They had a large analytics environment um, it's the person event data environment or the PDE that they were using to run um, large scale data science models. Put two and two together. We get a directive out there from SEC Army. Hey, everybody in the people space, thou shalt share data. We're going to put it all here. So that was um, two, 20, 2016, 2017. From that time, put all the data together, started working with it, started building on top of it, building these, these large scale models on top of it, and really were able to do some cool stuff. So what our job was um, out of the people analytics office was directing some of that research and that exploratory data analysis and really kind of melding in with the HR community and the army and figuring out those use cases. That to me is always the most difficult thing when we have, you've got the data, you've got the tools. Okay, it's great. Let's do something. What are the questions we need? How do we integrate into the decision cycle and the business processes? You know, It's We can build great models that are interesting to us all day, but if they're not answering that question and they don't fit in that decision cycle, they're not going to get used. So the People Analytics Office comes together with the Army's people domain, pulls those questions, and we started building out a 10-year plan for how we were going to develop large-scale analytic models to help the Army understand its people.
1: I think that's so incredible because um, we've seen this sort of intersection between data science and lots of other areas, right? Like it, within cybersecurity, in IT, in now in um, seeing this in human resources, HR, and administrative type functions. Like, I, I think it's it can only help improve what we do, right? That's um, a, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I wanted to um, I wanted to sort of ask because I saw you had a, a post on LinkedIn and you were talking about sort of this like health, well-being, fitness, like how we all sort of integrate that into what we do, right? And I know Chris and I talk a lot about this too, as sort of like taking care of yourself, your mind, your body, having sort of this like taking time for fitness or, or whatever, you know, you sort of need to do. Um, there's a lot of research, especially in the IT and cybersecurity space uh, around, you know, stress, burnout, um, you know, people getting just, I mean, the amount of data that they have to look at, the decisions they have to make, you know, all of these sort of human factors components. Um, Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the things we can do to help our, you know, sort of our technical peers, our our people that are sort of um, maybe struggling with that with that balance?
0: Yeah, I'd say burnout is one of the biggest things that people struggle with just because, you know, you get kind of get in the zone, you get in the code, the thing's working, you're building it out and then you just look at it and go, oh, okay, how many hours am I spending on this? Now, I think everybody needs more tools to figure out what those kind of productivity hours are and when, how, how long you can do those without you know, reminders that we need a break. Um, we've been, at least in my team, we've been really trying to support each other. When we do take time off, it's just like, turn off the computer, stay away from it. You know, All of these little technical ankle biters, I mean, it's one thing if they want to work on passion projects. It's another if they're... Ten- they're trying to um, whack away all the little ankle-biter tasks that creep up. Um, email creep is another big, huge thing. But, hey, we can write algorithms to sort this stuff. Um, I, think, I think all in all, though, we, we need to take better care of our technical workforce in the DOD because we don't, again, kind of coming back to don't necessarily understand the way they work differently from the rest of our uh, RB workforce. So there's not that same kind of work rest cycle. They don't go to the field and come back. It's like, we're always doing something, whether it's supporting a deployed organization, supporting an organization at home. And I th- especially thinking you know, towards resilient cyber, that is a huge issue for them. Um, had a conversation, my, my deputy is a cyber officer, and we had a really good conversation the other day about the psychology of defense because they are always on the defense, which when you think about it, that means they're, they're always getting attacked. And that weighs heavily on on somebody. Just just the kind of emotional feelings that can evoke when they're sitting there, always on the defense. If something gets through, and elevated stress levels, everything else. We got to figure out how to rotate people off the digital front line, and apply a lot of the things we understand about work rest cycles to our technical workforce. I think we neglect that because we have, especially on the army side, we have this obsession with you know everybody who's working at the tip of the spear, forgetting that. These guys are at the tip of the digital sphere every day
2: that I uh, actually want to touch on that because that's such an amazing point the way you phrased it the work rest cycle you know a lot of the uh, the battlefield I guess is now digital and we don't you know a lot of folks don't think about the fact that you know a lot of the conflict is actually happening in the digital domain and people take this work very seriously and commit themselves to it and you know it can be hard to step away especially when work it goes with you everywhere you're carrying it around in your pocket basically you know mm-hmm. it's very hard to disconnect from that. Um, so that's such a great point of trying to apply traditional work uh, rest cycles to the digital, you know, uh, career field, basically. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is, you know, I know that recently the Army put out a new vision for talent, talent management, you know, moving into the future. I was curious if you can unpack that a little bit, you know, some of the pillars or you know, core aspects of that, that vision.
0: So we've got a few of them um, in the process right now. We've had uh, for the past, I think it's been three and a half years now, we had the Army People Strategy, which was the underpinning for talent management. Um, That laid out what we were going to do in terms of acquire, develop, employ, and retain the entire cycle of how we engage with our workforce. I kind of tag transition on there also because we want to be able to wrap our arms around our Army alums and make sure that they have the most success as they're coming back and forth with careers. And we're also talking with the chief of staff of the army about uh, permeability. Can we bring people back in once they decide to get out when we need those critical skills, bring them in at the right level of constructive credit, uh, commensurate with the experiences they picked up on the outside and underpinning all of that is the army talent attribute framework, which is basically the the large um, language library we created so that we could use our algorithms and say, this is what this is, this is what that is. A lot of our stuff translates well from our uh, commercial counterparts. But you know, if I, if I don't have a language library that can explain that engineer and sapper kind of go together, which is you know, a common vernacular in the army, not so common elsewhere, then we have a problem. So we're building that piece out. As we've been doing this, we started looking at the organizations that actually manage this whole process and we're like, okay, we've built this entire vision for talent management. We really haven't built a process for how we're going to do this. So that spins into HRC 2030. So we have a number of different things that we're doing with Army Human Resources Command to integrate more more technical capability and more technical talent. We wanna be more engaged, more agile, and more, um, more predictive in the work that we're doing so that we can use the tools that we've been developing to look out in terms of structure and shortages, future inventory forecasting, a lot of the things that we think are going to be, or that we've been working on for a while. But on the other side, we want to look at surge periods when it comes to certain types of requests for orders, for training, for different types of individuals. Where can we find the early indicators that we're going to need to expand a particular skill set in a branch and send that, um, that indicator over to our training courses? So we're, we're trying to flesh out um, how, we, how we actually get around doing this and at the same time, modernizing our old systems. So we have, at HRC, we actually have a majority of the Army People Enterprise data and data systems. So we're in the process of getting all of those upgraded, getting them um, either replaced with uh, cloud-native applications or building them into our existing workflow platforms.
2: Yeah, it's really fascinating what you just discussed, because I feel like you brought it full circle. We talked about early on, you know, Nikki asked you a question about people analytics. I talked to you about, you know, uh, recruiting and retention. And now you're talking about predicting the workforce needs, you know, based on the activities of the Army and the future conflicts that we may face and things like that. So it has come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned like, you know, uh, language libraries. I think you use the term and you know, I've seen some uh, traffic from you as well as command you support using the terms. uh around AI and the, the role that AI will play right in your in your domain. So I'm curious to hear, you know, how are you guys applying AI or at least looking to potentially apply AI in the future?
0: So we've got a couple of good projects going on um, right now. One of them is we've introduced a couple of machine learning models into our promotion cycle. A lot of people kind of tense up when you say, oh, you're bringing AI into promotion. The computer is going to select the leaders of the army. It's Skynet. It's like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're integrating it. And when we talk about integration of AI, you know, it's an assistant, it's a partner, it's something that's going to go through and review and flag your files with a little sign here. You know, it's it's a support element. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to change people's perceptions of what AI actually, um, what it is and what it should do and how it should be applied. And how we're applying it in this, um, this cycle is we've taught it to read and review files, and evaluations and provide the same scoring that we uh, get from our our career managers and from board processes. Doing that, we can help pre-sort, we can help um, pre-screen, we can flag things for follow-up and we can integrate some of those into selection programs like our command selection um, process. That pre screens the files and generates, or uh, the idea is it's going to generate an invitation to our command assessment program instead of having a board of general officers spend three weeks sitting at Fort Knox reviewing files. It's like, that's inane work that we can automate. So anything where we can have a computer do that repetitive task, it can find improvements, it can flag things for follow-up, it can condense the documents into an executive summary for someone to read. I mean, there's any number of different applications that we can use, especially seeing just the proliferation of large language models out there. We started talking with a couple of folks about potentially developing something like this for all our um, regulations in the people side, because we have all these print PDF regulations. What if we could use this to create, ingest all these things, create a wiki, give me an executive summary on all of our current policies like regarding COVID. And, okay, here's your thousand word, a summary of what all the current policies are. Find, find language in these policies that conflicts. I mean, there's so many ways that we can improve the information and the services that we're offering our soldiers and our families integrating this. It's just, it's the possibilities are endless. But when that happens, the first thing we need to do is kind of figure out, again, kind of coming back to those use cases you know, what is the use case? What is the value proposition? And let's get something out there for people to play with. We just got to pick something and go.
1: Yeah, I think that speaks to, you know, a lot of the ways that, you know, even in IT and cybersecurity, right, that we're looking to leverage AI and machine learning models, which is how can I sort of automate or augment some of these manual tasks that I don't, so I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I can spend time on innovation or other things, problem solving, critical thinking, all these other things that I could be spending time Mm -hmm. on. Um, so, can you talk a little bit, maybe about some uh, uh, some additional innovation or or other things that might be going on in the HR space, or or maybe where you sort of see this going in the future? Maybe like using your crystal ball and five years out, what you think it might sort of turn into?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, so we we have so much going on in the space. and trying to just think of the best place to start. I mean, because when we're, we're looking at um, implementing change and innovation, a lot of it is focusing on how we can empower our innovators, how we can create self-service platforms and processes. Um, looking a lot at low-code, no-code solutions where we can have people, you know, build their own applications to automate their workflows. And we can look at those, establish a series of measures, figure out where the pain points are, and then figure out where we can come in and say, okay, you guys built a solution. Let me tweak it a little bit for you. I can refine it, or we can just pull all these things into a larger solution. But... That automating our business processes is just one of the things that we're doing. We're trying to figure out how to better integrate data, not just in the people space, but looking at installation data, looking at the number of different organizations that own pieces of family care data and child care data. How can we make those processes better communicate with each other, share that data, potentially get that linked into what we do with our our PCS, our permanent change of station? You know, if, if I am sending a family that I have known data about and we know what services they're using currently and what they're going to need, can I send that entire push as, a, again, kind of a leading indicator to the post? This is what you need to take care of this family. They're coming to you. You have this many days. Let's figure this out. So we're trying to figure out how to cross domains with our data as well. And the rest is, um, is frankly, business process change you know, we're looking at the way we do business. Every time we integrate a new technology, it's like, okay, do we need, let's, what what other things does this impact? Do we need to be doing this thing this way anymore? And who do we need to have to be able to run it? So we've got a couple other talent management efforts going on in um, technical recruiting. We're not going to just post and pray on USA Jobs to get talent. We're going to actually go out and recruit the people we want. And in workforce development. So we've got large-scale plan for how we're going to develop our, our workforce and provide more training on data and analytics on using the resources and technical tools, some initial development. We've got a lot of those resources for free in the Army, and a lot of people just don't know about them. So we're trying to spread the word and build those into people's um, their professional development plans as they go forward and into our quarterly counselings.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love to see like just the just in general, right? Like the advancement of how we're using different types of tools and revamping processes, whether that's workforce or, you know, how people are living and and making life easier for them um, in their job roles. Um, So that's going to take us to our last question that we have for you. And I'm very curious about your perspective, uh, uh, you know, from the people angle, from the workforce angle. um, But what does cyber resiliency mean to you?
0: So, For cyber resiliency, I mean, it'd be easy to go through the technical terms, if you look at all your zero trust environment, defensive operations, everything else, which we have people who are far more expert in than I am. But for me, it's the human element. Somebody has to design all these things. Somebody has to think through how our systems need to be defended and how they might be attacked. Someone has to do the hard work of figuring out how to attract, recruit, develop, employ, and retain this workforce. So a res- resilient cyber system to me is a system both of the tools we develop and the people we develop them.
1: I think that's a perfect answer. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Um, well, I-, I wanted to say such a huge thank you for joining us today. We we hit so many different areas um, w- with the army and DOD with workforce and uh, human resources and automation and AI and all, <laughs> all, everything in between. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. Um, that's going to take us out for this week and we'll see everybody next Friday. Thanks again, Chris.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.